Well, as has been said many times, what a joy to see each other. And you know, one thing as I look at you, uh, you haven't changed a bit, but one person has. Yesterday when I was here, I saw Daniel Doe talking <laughs> to Jody, and I was amazed. I had to look up at that young rascal. Has he grown that much? And Wow. Also was deeply offended this morning. Bill commended Jerry, but he didn't commend me on being color-coordinated. <laughs> oh, my, what a time we're in. You know, in the midst of all these very abnormal and difficult times, it's important to remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians 2.11. In order that no advantage be taken of us, by Satan, for we're not ignorant concerning his schemes. And I must say, as I look at society today and look at all that's going on in people's lives, Satan's schemes become rather obvious. This morning I want to talk about two that he seems to be so effectively using in these days. First is paralyzing fear. Now, Joel mentioned in one of the podcasts that his friend had said that there are 365 times in the Bible that it says, fear not, one for every day. Now, that intrigued me, and so I did my own research, and here's what I found. King James Version, 144 times. English Standard Version, 138 times. New American Standard, 133 times. New King James 120 times, NIV 66, NLT 36. But you see, that's just when the Greek is rendered with those two words, fear not. Because there are many other places which probably would bring the total to 365, or perhaps even more when that truth is presented. For instance, when Jesus was giving the last talk he gave the disciples before his crucifixion, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He could, we could render that, paraphrase it in English, fear not, fear not. You believe in God, believe also in me. Or the way he closed that speech, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. But we could have just said, fear not. So, Many, many times in Scripture we see those examples in which the concept of fear not is there, whether or not our English versions have chosen to use those exact two words. Very important that we not allow Satan to succeed in using this uh, weapon of his, the weapon of fear. Psalm 46, a psalm in which the composer is talking about the glory of God. And suddenly, in the midst of the, of the composition, God seemed to interrupt him and says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I'll be exalted in the north. It's interesting, that Hebrew word that is rendered be still or some places cease striving is the word hapu. And harpu means to... Show yourself to be lazy. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> God says, relax, I'm in charge. 
And we need to recognize God is in charge. To me, one of the outstanding examples of lack of fear is the occasion in which Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were brought before the king. You know the story. Daniel and these other three Hebrew boys had been brought to Babylon. They had been trained, and they were finally given positions of great authority. Now, the Babylonian bureaucracy resented that. Here, these Jews have these jobs, and we want to be the ones in charge. And so they were always looking for some way to bring down those Jewish young men. Nebuchadnezzar, on one occasion, built a giant, giant idol, 60 feet tall, 6 feet wide, And he said, every time you hear the royal orchestra play, everyone is to bow down and pay homage to this idol. Some of the bureaucracy came to him and said, you know what? Those three Jews that you put over the provinces, they don't do that. And in anger, he brought them before him and he said, whenever you hear this royal orchestra playing, and he listed all the instruments. Bow down and worship. If you don't, I'll throw you into the fiery furnace. And then what God can deliver you? (laughs) You know, their response is very interesting. They said, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Then listen to this. But if he does not, (laughs) but if he does not, let it be known to you, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image. In World War II, when the British soldiers were on Dunkirk, And the Germans were about to overrun them, and behind them was the English Channel, and there was no escape. I'm sure you know the story, how from Britain almost every vessel possible, fishing vessels, uh, pleasure vessels, came across the Channel to deliver those soldiers from Dunkirk. But one interesting thing is this. They sent one telegram back to England with these words. But if not, (laughs) every Englishman knew that to which they referred because in those days (laughs) they all studied the Bible in school. I'm so thankful for Lynn's reciting Psalm 91 on the podcast last week. And I had an occasion recently at River Parks to a rather river walk, (laughs) to uh, see an example of that, an illustration. You know, two verses says, He will give charge concerning thee. The angels will bear you up in their arms, uh, lest you dash your foot against a stone. One day as I was playing the clarinet, and where I sit, I sit in kind of an alcove. There's an arch and stone columns on each side, and I have limited vision, but I can see the river, the trees, the sky, the clouds, and I usually play my clarinet for a half hour and worship and pray for 30 minutes. But one day as I was there, I saw a man come by about Dave Troutman's stature and build, 
And in front of him, there's a little girl, I'd say about four years old, <laughs> tripping and skipping along so beautifully, and he was kind of trying to keep up with her. But behind him, there was a little boy, must have been about two years old, chubby. He didn't have on shoes, he had on flip-flops, and you could tell walking was kind of a new adventure to him, and he was waddling more than walking, and the dad was kind of trying to keep up with the little girl, but not get too far ahead of the little boy. Now... The River Walk, as any of you have been there, you know they have an amphitheater built of concrete. looks just like the Roman Colosseum, only much smaller, tiers and tiers of rows of seats. And there's a wall around that amphitheater that's two or three feet high. And then there's a break in the wall, uh, I think two or three times, where you can go down and have steps to go out into the amphitheater. Well, here this little boy was waddling along. <laughs> And he came to that amphitheater, and he started to step down those steps where he would have fallen. His father, without missing a step, swooped him up and began to carry him. And the little boy didn't even notice what had happened. <laughs> and I thought, my God in heaven, how many times have you, my heavenly father, swooped me up when I've been just about to take a dangerous step or a dangerous path and I have not even known it aren't we thankful we have that heavenly father there's a song I'd sing for you today but I'm too emotional to do it <laughs> but hear the words I trust in God Wherever I may be, upon the land or on the sea, come what may from day to day, my Heavenly Father watches over me. I trust in God wherever I may be, on mountain bleak or on the rolling sea. Though billows roll, he keeps my soul. My heavenly Father watches over me. Oh, what a truth. My heavenly Father watches over me. And yet, even though that's true, I must not be presumptuous. You remember those very two verses of Psalm 91 Satan tried to use to test Jesus. You recall after Jesus was immersed by John, his cousin, in the river, the Holy Spirit led Jesus in the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And you remember one of those tests, he took him to the top of the temple and said, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. Because it is written, he will give his angels charge over thee, and they will bear you up in their arms, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus knew his Bible as well as Satan, <laughs> and he quoted Deuteronomy 6. It is said, you shall not test the Lord your God. You remember Chuck Ferrer's book is based on that passage, they from the pinnacle of the temple. 
You know, Satan today is doing all that he can to use his weapon of fear to paralyze us. And I know some people today who are literally paralyzed by fear. I know of one man who will not leave his house, and he's afraid for anybody, even a relative, to come in the front door. I know of others who say, oh, there's a bunch of hogwash and baloney on that. And, you know, there's a real difference between irrational, paralyzing fear and irrational, cavalier attitude toward a real danger. It's important for us, even though we are not paralyzed by fear, to recognize there's a danger, and let's be sensible about it. I grew up in a culture in which people never took vacations. You worked six days a week, 52 weeks a year. You had Sundays off, and of course you had off Christmas and Thanksgiving and so on. Other than that, you just worked. When I came to TCF, I found myself in a culture where people took vacations. <laughs> and uh, Jim Kreitz came to me in 81 said, Jim, Marlene and I are going to go down to Georgia to visit your daughter. Why don't you go with us? <laughs> I thought, well, TCF, I expect you to take vacations. Okay. He said, listen, we'll... I, you know, I have this box truck. I'll put an apartment in it, and we'll pull the mobile trailer behind, home trailer behind. That'll be your apartment. Marlene and I'll have the other one. So we did that. He said, it won't cost you a penny. I'll cover everything. Mark was with on that trip. Well, the next year, he came and said, you know, Jim, Marlene and I want to take another vacation. This time, you want to go to Colorado. Come with us. Same deal last year. Okay. So we made our first trip to Colorado. Uh, later, the McWilliams and the Easons and the Garretts took about a two-week trip in a van. But for three years, we went to Colorado and stayed in a cabin uh, just north of Bailey. It was on the Romer Ranch. I think the um, Roses stayed there, some of the GCN folks as well. It was uh, the, the, the Governor Romer of Colorado's mother was a devout Christian and she wanted to create a place where minister of the gospel could come and have retreat. So she built this cabin. Bill, Sullivan, Bill Sanders met her at a Gothard seminar one time. So that opened the door to leadership at TCF. We could use that cabin. So for three years, in August, Barbara and I went to that cabin. And we spent three days in a jazz festival at Central City Old-time New Orleans jazz. Don't care for modern jazz, but I like the one from New Orleans. And then we also would regularly go to Estes Park and climb those 14,000-foot mountains. That was such fun <laughs> and work. I would always lead the way up. Barbara could win the path down better. And I remember there's one place as we were coming down, there was a ledge it was so narrow, you almost had to walk with your back against the cliff. And you could stop and look down, and a thousand feet below, there was a little bit of land, and there was a lake. And one thing we learned in those years of climbing those mountains was that it was not unusual in late afternoon for a storm to just suddenly come on you, unannounced rain and wind, and darkness, and you better not be on the mountain when that happens.
Had I been on that ledge one day, and suddenly one of those storms would come, and I'd think, I've got to get down from here. <laughs> oh, well, I'll just jump. <laughs> Angels will catch me. Wouldn't that be stupid? No, I better just win my way down. See, there's a real difference between irrational fear and a cavalier attitude toward real danger. Satan uses both. He can use the cavalier attitude. He can use the paralyzing fear. My brother and my sister, fear is Satan's weapon. Trust and peace is a gift from God through the Holy Spirit. Another weapon Satan is using so effectively these days is a weapon of division. Now, I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because I know of no better way to illustrate this truth. Prior to my coming to Tulsa Christian Fellowship for 21 years, I believe, every summer I worked in church camp. And the rule was for the children and the young people of a particular church to attend church camp. The minister had to work in church camp. And so for six weeks... About 120 kids a day, 24 hours a day, uh, head to church camp right after church on Sunday, be there till Saturday noon, come home, do all you could to get ready for Sunday, turn around, do the same thing again. And some of us would stay overnight Sunday night to kind of handle things till breakfast the next morning. But often, there some of us would go back in town to preach and then come back to be there for in the morning. One of those years, I had just been so terribly, terribly busy. And so we taught Sunday school. I preached and then hurriedly loaded kids up. And sometimes we had a caravan. We had so many to go to camp, get them all enrolled. Everybody assigned to a dorm, drive back to Tulsa, preach, turn around and go back to camp. I'd been so busy, I'd not had time to prepare a sermon for Sunday night. And I was driving back to town an hour away from the pulpit. No sermon. God, what am I supposed to preach? Please, Lord, speak to me. And I remember coming on Muskogee Turnpike near Coweta, suddenly the odor of a skunk filled my car. What kind of an answer to prayer is that? <laughs> and the Holy Spirit said, that's your sermon tonight. You never mistake the odor of a skunk. Satan has an odor, and it's division. Anytime you see division anywhere, that's Satan's odor. He's present somewhere. Have you ever seen such a time of division as we have right now? Church is divided. Politically, our nation just seems to be experiencing an internal war. Now all that's happened over the death of Floyd, not just honest protest, but marauders are using it. And as I say, division in the churches. I wonder how much our Lord is grieved, especially among those who claim to bear his name. The hint of that, I think, is very clear in John 17 when Jesus prayed, Lord, as you and I are one, let them be one. 
that all the world might know that you have sent me. Sadly, so many people have the attitude, unless you agree with me in everything, we can't be friends. That's the devil. Let me tell you something. You can disagree with me on a lot of things, and I'll say, oh, well, that's just the way you are. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I'd die for you. It's important that we do not let Satan give his stink of division in any area where we have the opportunity to stand against it. Remember, as Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Oh, my brother and my sister, can we be peacemakers and bring the spirit of Jesus in the midst of all of the division that we have? Let's not let Satan gain one inch. Let's always give God the victory through Jesus. Amen.